it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Today, we have episode 253. Today, we thought we would talk about maybe some soft skills involved around investing. We thought we would talk about some of the biases that can hold us back from becoming better investors or maybe even encourage us to become better investors. And there's four of them that we have not talked a lot about. Two of the ones that we've talked a lot about in particular is confirmation bias. And Andrew and I have both talked a lot about that. But we thought we would we would focus on four other ones that maybe don't get as much acclaim as something like confirmation bias. So Andrew, I'm going to turn it over to you and you can start talking about the first one and then we can just kind of start rolling from there. Okay. So I'm just going to pick one from the list here. All right. I think it would be interesting to talk about halo effect, Mm -hmm. particularly because I find myself subject to this with my stocks. So it's something I can always work on. The idea of the halo effect is that I think it's mentioned just like in general, like if a person succeeds in one area, then you tend to assume that they're good at everything. But another example I saw was Apple, which was to say that because their iPhone is so great, you automatically assume that their AirPods are great. So it's you like assign these positive qualities to something because you already like that something or somebody. And I think Apple is actually a great example of that because if you use Apple products, then you're probably going to feel pretty good about the stock itself. And while it's good to be inspired and to invest in things you know and things that you like, that could be a slippery slope if it's causing you to make decisions, the tough decisions that you should be making because investing and emotions don't always play well. And and sometimes you need to make the hard decisions with the stocks you own. When you think about 
some of the, I guess, more premier logo slash brand type companies of which Apple would definitely fall into that category. You think about Netflix, you think about Starbucks, you think about Nike, maybe Coca-Cola. I'm sure there's other ones out there that I'm not thinking of, but you, if you naturally love one of their products, you would, you're going to associate good feelings with their other products and likewise think that that's going to be a great thing. And None of those companies are bad companies and certainly not disparaging any of them. But if you love Coca-Cola products, then you're going to love everything that Coke does. And likewise with Netflix. And, you know, that doesn't mean that they're good or bad investments. And Starbucks is one that I think, you know, if you try to take away people's Starbucks addiction, you might get, you might get you know, lynched. And uh, so it's, uh, you know, people are very passionate about some of these things. And so it's very easy to correlate how much you love Starbucks coffee to thinking it's going to be a great investment. And it could be, and it could not be, but that's what, uh, where these biases come into play because they, in essence, I always think of them as blinders. Like you look at old school pictures of horses with these, you know, pieces of, you know, material covering their eyes so that they can't see one way or the other. They can only see straight ahead. And that's what I always think of when I think of these biases. And halo effect is certainly a bias that we can all attribute to to different companies. And it's something that I struggle with as well. Uh, Ajin is a company that I've invested in and I've been involved with them for almost two years now. And I love the company. I love everything they do. And so I naturally assign a halo effect to the CEO, Peter. And that's a very common trait. If you really like a company, you also assign these positive characteristics to the leader of the business. And I think you don't have to go too far to look and see how much the halo effect has impacted investors regarding Tesla. And likewise, Berkshire Hathaway. You know, Warren Buffett is definitely, you know, I have a halo effect with Warren Buffett. There's no question about that. And it's something that I have to keep in mind when I'm investing. I like that you mentioned those examples because I certainly feel that way about Elon too. He's actually pretty charismatic if you've seen some of his longer form interviews. And what he's done with Tesla has been nothing short of extraordinary. And it's funny because he has other projects like Neuralink, which scares me like you wouldn't (laughs) believe. And I don't get nearly as upset about it because it's Elon right? as I feel like I, I normally would be. That's definitely something to keep in mind. So how would an investor avoid, you know, since you and I like to talk about picking stocks a lot, mm. how do investors avoid the halo effect when they're picking stocks? What, what have you found that you use to, to fight against that? I think there's two things. For me, one is being aware that this is a bias and that it's a bias that I struggle with. So just having that awareness helps me counteract it a little bit. The other part of it too is I go back to Charlie Munger's idea of invert, always invert. And I try to, I try to always think of the downside. I try to look at the, you know, the dark side of investing in in a particular company and what could go wrong. And by reading bearish reports about the business or thinking about the risks and what those could potentially entail for a company. I think that helps me offset the halo effect to a certain extent. Um, It probably doesn't eliminate it completely, but it certainly, I think, helps me offset it. What about you? For me, it's really, I I have to stick to the numbers. And I found that works for me really, really well in handling all sorts of biases. So I'll take Apple because I started with that example. 
as a full disclaimer, I own Apple. I've got it as one of my bigger positions and I'm very bullish about the long term of the company. The way I've fought halo effect bias on both accounts is first off, you have to be careful that a stock that you're buying, you're not paying too expensive of a price for it because you love it so much. And so that's where a valuation model like a DCF or discounted cash flow model is very, very helpful for that because it exposes how much excitement you are baking into the price. So it keeps you honest where at least it's holding a mirror to your face to say, hey, you're expecting 10% growth. Okay. Like the, the DCF explicitly shows you that. So you can't fool yourself about that part. So that's the first. I guess there's include a third one because there's a, something that ties in. The second one is the company's ROIC, which is another number. So I can believe all I want about the company's business model. But when I look at their ROIC and I know how good it is compared to every other company out there, that tells me that a lot of things can can happen with that company. And as long as that doesn't go in the wrong direction, I know that they're compounding their capital for me and I'm getting a lot of that back. And then the third aspect of it, which I guess would tie in with the first two, is what's the average of outcomes in the business world or in the stock market? So I talked about, you know, can you expect 10% growth? Well, what's the average growth you can expect from a company? Is it 20%? Is that a reasonable expectation? Is it 5%? Is it a reasonable expectation? I'll tell you right now, it's somewhere closer to the middle of that. So having the right expectations of where a company will do, I think is is a good way to remove the halo effect because you're basically just putting the odds on your side. And I look at the same way with ROIC where they have such a higher ROIC than the average, which makes me feel good about the fact that I chose this company to invest in because I know that the numbers clearly say that they are super capital efficient compared to a lot of other businesses. Yeah, that's great. Those are great. Those are great techniques to use to overcome something like that. That's awesome. Using numbers and sticking with assumptions and and reasonable uh, ideas, I think is a great way to go. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to nerd wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. 
Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. Which effect would you want to tackle next? Um, I think let's talk about maybe maybe we could talk about two of them kind of in tandem because I think they're kind of related. Uh, let's talk a little bit about recency bias and hindsight bias. And I, I think to me, they kind of are related. Uh, I may be wrong as far as that exact terms, but to me, they're, they're correlated. Recency bias to me is when you extrapolate returns based on what you think happened just recently, whether it's good or bad, and kind of extrapolating everything forward. Perfect example, Netflix. Netflix had, you know, a couple quarters ago now, I think, had a air quote bad quarter where they didn't hit their numbers with their subscriber rates, which I don't think really should have been much of a surprise to anybody considering they were coming off of what happened during the pandemic and I guess unreasonable expectations for that kind of growth to continue. And the stock got hammered. And I think everybody since then thought, oh God, this is a terrible stock. But then if you look at the return since that happened, it's up like, I don't know, 50 or 60% since that happened. And so... (laughs) You know, if you're just looking at what happened recently, you would think, oh, terrible investment. There's no way I could ever buy something like like Netflix. But because the company has, you know, continued to perform since that happened, it's done well. But I think it just shows that sometimes we get so caught up in what happens recently, whether it's good or bad, that we just extrapolate that over a long period of time. And that can really harm your investing process if you just focus on one quarter or a very short period of time, because over the long term, the stock market's going to return nine to 10%. And if we just focus on what happens now, it's, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where you zoom in on a chart and you see all the jagged edges. But then if you zoom back, you see the smooth growth and that's what really matters. And I think recency bias to me is all those jagged edges because you're, you're so focused on what happened yesterday. And I kind of feel like that hindsight bias kind of falls into the same idea where you're projecting all the future growth of the company and what they've done in the past. And, you know, the companies all say in all their financial reports that, you know, past results do not guarantee future results. And I think it's very common for us to go, look how great 
Coca-Cola did in the 1980s, it's still going to happen here. I'm not saying it's not, but just as an example. And same same idea with American Express. You know, what a monster company it was. Now look at it. Look at GE in the, in the 2000s and, and 1990s. It was a beast. And now look at it. If you look at the hindsight of a company and project that forward, that can really harm your returns as well because you're not you're not taking into account the quality of the business, management, all those other characteristics that could impact the future returns of the company. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. Yeah, that's very well said. I mean, the problem with hindsight bias is you have to recognize when things have fundamentally changed. And I think it's going to be, it's a very interesting time to be an investor right now because we've gone through a pandemic and then geopolitical, crazy geopolitical tensions that are still continuing and inflation that we haven't seen in decades. And that, that's not even including all the supply chain mess that's been rampant throughout the last 12 months. So it's, it's one of those things where I think investors will, we tend to be slow to recognize when things have changed. And hindsight bias plays a huge role in that because we look back in the rear view and we see things that seemed so obvious. Like, I love that Netflix example. Companies that did really well during the pandemic, Zoom and Peloton, Peloton, Peloton yeah. being good examples of that. And it's easy to like dismiss that and say, oh, well, they should have known that was temporary. But we forget, hindsight bias makes us forget what it felt like to be in that moment where we really didn't know if things would ever get back to 2019 levels of people traveling and people going to the gym and, and things like that. So it's really tricky. And it's, I don't know, I mean, because you could say, well, this is hindsight bias in one area. And then in another area, hindsight bias could mean you'll be fine. Uh, a lot of companies that have done well the last 10 years will continue to do well the next 10 years. So it's not a it's not as easy to identify maybe and that's what can make it so destructive because you can really trick yourself into thinking that you're not biased when you are. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it hard to fight. It is very hard to fight. How would you fight against hindsight bias slash recency bias? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a daily struggle. <laughs> It really is. I feel like I'm blessed because I have you to to help me reframe my ideas a lot because I think that's important to have somebody to bounce ideas off and, and to keep you humble and from like thinking you have it all figured out. And even just like some feedback on an idea you might have can change your perspective on how you're thinking about something. And when it's a big picture thing, that can really help you make better decisions. So I wish there was like some easy prescription like we can say like to use numbers but in the case like this i don't think there is you just have to you have to stay open-minded but at the same time you have to be closed-minded enough to know what matters it's a very tricky balance yeah it really is and i I think you know i I appreciate the, the kind words i feel the same about you that i'm lucky to have you to help me reframe and keep me you know keep me back on track when I start getting crazy and going, Hey, you know, kind of thing. And it, it helps me refocus where I need to really be focused on. Cause I can get too enthusiastic about things that are not realistic sometimes. And I guess the recipe, if you will, is if people 
can find like-minded people that they can interact with that can help them use these kinds of you know traits and ideas to bounce ideas off of or to give them a different reframing of a particular situation or an idea that those kinds of things can be very very helpful social media if you don't have friends that are into the stock market that you can really discuss these things with then there's social media out there that can help you with that and the other thing that i guess that i always try to keep in mind it's just a constant refrain kind of on endless loop in my head. Has anything changed with the business? Mm-hmm. Has anything changed with the business? And I think for me, thinking of it that way helps me think about, okay, there's all this noise about you know company A or company B. But if I think about what they do, has that changed? And has the desire for what they sell or do really change like the public desire to have that like apple you know the desire to have their iphone is that really abated and it doesn't it hasn't and so that can help you stay on track and not get stuck in how well apple has done in the past but focus also on the business now and what they're going to do going forward and i think that can help offset some of the hindsight bias but it's hard it's you know it's very hard to do those kinds of things i think another thing that i think is helpful is journaling or writing down your investment thesis and coming back to it on a regular basis can help ground you in why you really bought Apple, for example, in the first place. And because sometimes our memories are not exactly what we think they are. (laughs) And we can look back and go, oh, I bought it because of this. But then you write it down and then you look at it uh, six months, a year, two years later And you find out, whoa, that actually wasn't really the reason I bought it to begin with. So I think that's something that can really help with with hindsight bias or recency bias is writing down your ideas. We had Jake Taylor on a while back and he's the founder of Journalytic. And just recently he announced that that has now gone open to the public. So you can go to journalytic.com. And it's a free resource that you can use to keep track of your ideas and any sort of journaling that you want to do for anything, but really for investing, but you can do it for anything. And I think that would be a useful tool to help with some of these biases because we don't always remember exactly the way things actually happened. And time warps some of those things. And I think something like that would be very helpful. Completely agree. And as an early adopter of that, I highly recommend it. Yeah. I, I probably don't use it as much as I should, but no, I don't either. But I do use it, and I love it. Yeah, same. Yeah, and it's free. So I, did I mention it's free? <laughs> All right. All right. So the last bias that we have is the endowment and bias. Would you like to tell folks about this fun little adventure? If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. 
Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Sure. So it's basically this idea that we assign more value to something that we own than what it's really worth. And sometimes it can get to a point where it's irrational. And so how do you fight it? I mean, there is a great quote, and he said it was Adam Smith, aka George Goodman. I don't know if that's true or not. But basically, the quote is, the stock doesn't know you own it. So we have to remember that when we're looking at our portfolio, because it's easy to get grounded on, okay, I bought this stock at $10. Now it's at $15. This is an awesome company, or this is a great stock. And just because that was the case for you doesn't mean that's the case for investors moving forward. And just because that stock has done well for you in the past doesn't mean it's going to do well for you the next five or 10 years. So it's another one of those tough things that you have to think about. Am I falling in love with this stock so much? Not even because it's good or has good qualities, but literally just because I chose this is my stock. I'm going to buy it. It's my idea. And so am I putting up those blinders and not looking at all the facts because of something that you own. And that's something that can be really dangerous too. Oh, extremely dangerous. And we were talking about this the other day, fantasy football. Mm. You think about when you go through the effort of picking your team and assigning your team and every week you feel like that you have done the best job that you can do. And all these players are the best players and you're, we're always a little bit surprised at the end of the week when we don't win. But then if you look at it, if you remove yourself from the situation and you just rank the quality of the teams based on whatever metrics, you know, maybe NFL football has, maybe they don't stack up that great. But because we own them, now said running back is the best running back in the league and said quarterback is the best quarterback in the league when in reality that may not actually be the case. And I think that kind of idea applies to stock picking as well. I mean, how many times have we or you or I fell in love with a company and we bought it and now we think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread and you know returns and maybe the company performance indicate otherwise. And so it can be it could be really hard to really overcome something like that. And it's not a bias that I think gets a lot of a lot of press, <laughs> but it's certainly one that I think is very dangerous. And it's very Sometimes when the facts change, we need to change our mind. And when we buy companies, we ideally want to hold them for a long time. But sometimes the facts change and we have to we have to recognize that and decide whether we want to move on from that position or if we want to consider reducing it or whatever it may be. But those are all things you have to keep in mind whenever you buy any individual company because nothing is forever. And ideally, we'd love it to be forever. And that's the idea when we pick a company, but facts will change and we have to change our mind with that. And I think that goes hand in hand with the endowment effect because it's so hard to overcome that. You know, hey, I bought, you know, I bought PayPal. It's a great business. And I'm like, well, <laughs> the market says otherwise. Their financial performance has been eh. So, but because I own it now, I put more backing behind something like that than maybe I should. And so those are definitely struggles that I struggle with for sure. So how do we fight back against this endowment effect? Because obviously you can't just 
stick your head in the sand and just ignore these things and pretend that things aren't potentially changing. I hate to sound like a broken record, but I think a lot of it comes down to knowledge of the business and understanding the business and keeping tabs on what's going on. Not necessarily that you have to follow every minute move that the company makes, but at least be passingly aware every quarter that they've reported earnings and maybe giving a listen to the earnings call and maybe understanding if something in the business has changed. And, you know, let's say just for example, that you, you bought the company that owns Olive Garden and now Olive Garden has decided that instead of being Italian food, they're going to sell only breakfast items and that's it. Well, that's a big change. (laughs) And if you're not aware of that, that is going to impact the business. Now it may not be, you know, life killing, <laughs> but it certainly would be disruptive. And so those kinds of things we need to be aware of. And if something like that happens, then we have to be open-minded enough to understand that when changes like that happen, then we have to decide what we be able to adapt. And I think the other thing is going back to journaling, is writing down the idea of why you bought the company and then reviewing that on a regular basis will help keep in mind why I bought this business. And if something has changed about that business, that what they're doing or how they're doing it uh, will have an impact on it. Perfect example is look at, you know, let's say you owned AT&T and then Apple comes out. Well, not an Apple, BlackBerry comes out with their phones and then Apple comes out with their phones. Well, the way people use phones dramatically changed. And so AT&T's position in the marketplace would have changed drastically from that point forward. And so I think having a realization of why I bought AT&T to begin with and now something has changed, if you don't have a record of that, it might be hard to remember in the time when something like that occurs. And so for me, I guess it's those two kinds of ideas is, is the way that I try to fight it. How do you work against this? I don't think I have like the perfect answer or anything, but this framework has been helpful for me. And I envision using some version of this for quite some time. But I've talked on the show before, probably many episodes, about how I have an automatic sell rule with negative earnings. So if we look historically and you look over, let's say, the past 20 years, you're going to have more of that during like a recession. But over that 20-year period, let's say, maybe 10% of companies fall in that camp. So, okay, that's already 10% of my portfolio that I'm going to be selling like say every year. And then if you take another 10 to 15%, that's for me, I'm buying 12 stocks a year. So that's one stock a year I'd be selling. So I almost have this framework of, I'm not going to hit it perfectly every year, but maybe I sell one to two to three stocks per year, trying to maybe sell one discretionarily and one because of a sell rule. And so where that's putting my portfolio is like, a 25% turnover rate, which is about a four-year average holding period. So if you took your whole portfolio, you turned it over 25%, you'd have about a four-year average period per stock. Doing that, it reminds me of is it Stephen Keen who said, kill your darlings. And you know some other companies, which they haven't succeeded since doing this. So it's like maybe not the best analogy, but I know GE in the past, they used to like cut the low 10% every year. But if you think of your portfolio in that way, at least when I started thinking of it in that way, now instead of getting all defensive about like, oh, this stock, you know, they're putting up bad numbers, but it must be, you know, and then I, I add an excuse here or there. 
it allows me to flip the narrative of like, okay, is this one of those darlings I'm just going to have to kill? And so I'm almost like actively looking for reasons to sell something down. And I think that's helped because it's it brings a different mindset versus like feeling like every stock needs to be a winner. Mm-hmm. Instead, maybe 10% are losers and I'll do much better by identifying those early. But I, I haven't stuck to that perfectly and and I'm like really taking my time on discretionary selling out of positions but at least as far as fighting the bias I think it's helped because now my mindset has shifted towards all right you little thing like <laughs> let, let's actually figure out what's going on and you know you prove to me why I should keep you that helps me not feel so emotional about the stock itself and remember it is a stock and not like a family member or something. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's it's so hard because they're, we put a lot of time and effort into learning about these companies and then buying them that they become, it becomes personal. And it, it's hard to separate that from fact and fiction. And so working against these different biases that we've talked about today can be an ongoing struggle. And I don't think you could ever conquer any of them or all of them. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a struggle for sure. Mm-hmm. I think people that are tend towards less emotional responses to things probably over the long term become better investors. And I think somebody like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, I have a feeling they're pretty fairly unemotional. And that probably goes a long ways towards how well they've done over the long term in the market. But, you know, they're human too. And they definitely fight against biases just like everybody else does. All right. Well, with that, I'll go ahead and get off my soapbox and we'll go ahead and wrap up the conversation for today. I want to thank Imran Batla. I believe that's how we pronounce the name. I hope I did it correctly. If I didn't, forgive me. Sent me a great tweet on Twitter about this very idea. There was a great post about the 13 different biases and Andrew and I thought we would pick out four of them to talk about today. So we really appreciate the feedback and the great idea. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety emphasis on the safety. Have a great week and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.